Howdy, folks. Welcome to another episode of The Russia Guy, the podcast where I talk to interesting and influential figures in Russia-focused journalism, academia, and activism. I'm your host, Kevin Rothrock, and on this show, I interview people about trending news stories, the overarching themes of Russia watching, and the ins and outs of life as a professional in this field. This show is supported by listeners like you at patreon.com backslash Kevin Rothrock, where you can contribute as much or as little of your hard-earned money as you like. Thank you very much to my active patrons. There are currently... Let's look it up. What are we at now? What's the total at? The total is at... I got 17 patrons. So thank you. I appreciate your support. On today's show, I welcome back RFERL journalist Carl Schreck to talk about a June 17th investigative report he co-wrote with Sergei Khasov Kasia, titled His Name Was Andre, about the apparent murder of Andre Kobyshev, a middle-aged masseur who disappeared in Grozny in March 2017. The new article by Carl and Sergei details how Kobyshev moved to Chechnya and likely got swept up in the Republic's so-called gay purges. There's a lot here about case records, witness testimony, and cell phone records, but Carl can explain it better than I can, so let's get to the interview. The first question I had was, how did you come to this story? Did you get a tip or were you following it already? Since last year, I had been digging into the story of uh, Maxim Lepanov, the only person to come forward with his name and on the record to accuse Chechen law enforcement authorities of, of carrying out uh, essentially a purge against gay men in Chechnya. And he's the only one that's known to have uh, filed a formal criminal complaint over that. And so I had been digging into the story, uh, you know, since last year, I did a piece on it last year and was just following up, looking for leads and got a tip on this testimony that he had given about uh, recognizing a missing individual as someone who had allegedly been in that Grozny police cellar with him. And when did he make that announcement that he recognized Kabushev? Like, was that in testimony somewhere? Or did he tell... Did he tell journalists or did he blog it or how did that come out? Right. So I can give you a little timeline here. He saw in, in January of this year, saw a picture of a man who had gone missing in Chechnya in March 2017. That was what's widely seen as the as the height of the uh, of the anti-gay purge in Chechnya, and recognized this person from a picture that had been posted by relatives on a missing persons site as someone that was in the same police cell in Grozny uh, as he was in at the same time. And he gave testimony to his lawyer, who has represented him in Russian courts, uh, which have repeatedly upheld uh, investigators' decision not to, uh, not to launch a formal uh, criminal investigation. This testimony was then subsequently passed on to the Russian government's human rights ombudswoman, uh, Tatyana Moskalkova. According to documents we've seen, uh, Moskalkova's office says that the testimony uh, identifying this indiv individual as allegedly someone who was in that same Grozny police cellar has been passed on to the Russian investigative committee. That was in March. So this is all relatively new and there is no indication at least publicly at least talking to Maxim Lopunov's lawyer and we've talked to the relatives of the individual in question. His name is Andrei Kobyshev. There's no indication 
indication that the investigative committee has taken any steps yet. At some point in your, your story, you say that the Chechen criminal investigators have been asked to provide some kind of data and that they never responded to the request. Right. So my co-author, Sergei Hazafkasia, and, and I, we sifted through about 500 pages of case documents into the disappearance of Andrea Kobyshev. That sounds like a fun weekend. <laughs> I mean, you know, to each his own. It's, it's, uh-huh. interesting. it's interesting for me. Sure. Um, and uh, so this investigation was launched um, shortly after he disappeared because his relatives in the Volgograd uh, Oblast filed a missing persons report. And so it was first, you know, it was filed in, in the Volgograd Oblast and then it was taken over by um, police in Chechnya. And eventually it got handed over to um, the investigative committee in Chechnya who opened uh, a murder probe, which is, you know, it, it, it's, that's kind of a formality in missing persons cases. And so we managed to sift through about 500 pages of files from, from both the police and the investigative committee investigation. And yes, there was an inquiry from the investigative committee asking the specific uh, department, the criminal investigations department of the Chechen Interior Ministry, whether they had ever detained Andrei Kobyshev and whether they had quote, compromising materials, uh, end quote, about him. And at least from the materials we reviewed, there's no indication that there was a response from that department. Now, I can't, uh, you know, I can't say for a fact that there are other materials related to the case that, that maybe we haven't reviewed, but at least the documents we saw, there's no indication that there was an answer. We ourselves asked the uh, Cheshire Interior Ministry, if any of its uh, of its officers had uh, detained Andrei Kobyshev, and we have yet to receive a response. So it's possible that they, they went through so many formalities, and then they got to this one, and they just said, okay, we've done enough. We're going to ignore this, or we're going we're gonna to file it under all this other stuff and not get to it. Well, right. What's interesting to, to go through the cases from the criminal investigation, you know, there was... Uh, there was a, a what looks to be a thorough investigation that was conducted. With, you know, many, many witnesses, family members, colleagues uh, were were questioned. Inquiries to a range of government bodies were were issued, but in the end, nothing. There was nothing conclusive that came out of uh, any of that work. And in July uh, of last year, they simply uh, suspended the uh, investigation. Can you tell me? There's a, there's a lot. In- your story about phone records and historical cell site data, and this, especially the cell tower near the Grozny police station. Can you explain the documents and data you were working with to come to the conclusions that you did? Right. So this was the most fascinating part of the of the investigation, and I'll go a little bit into the backstory of how he, di- how and when he, uh, Andrei Kobyshev uh, disappeared, and then get into that. So. Basically, according to witness testimony that we reviewed, you can put the last time that he was seen uh, was leaving a, a sulfur bathhouse, Sierna uh, Banya, where he worked as a, as a masseur. What does that mean exactly? What is a sulfur bath bathhouse? I think it's just, you know, like kind of a mineral water. I, I guess they have natural... Does it smell like sulfur? Yeah, I've never been in one. Because that sounds, that sounds hard to get used to. I know there's, I think there's some in Tbilisi. Well, anyway, well... 
you know, just kind of a natural springs uh, sauna yes, yes, yes. where people take in the take it take in the waters, right? And so the the last time he was seen, according to witness tes- testimony, was leaving uh, his place of work on March thirteenth, two thousand seventeen, and. The following day, he missed a, a kind of a cleanup session at the, uh, you know, where they brought in all the employees to clean up the grounds where they worked. And so as part of the records of the investigation that we obtained, investigators, they obtained billing records from his mobile phone company, from, from his mobile provider. And these were very interesting in that they showed specifically which cell towers in Grozny his uh, mobile phone was connecting with in the in the days before, during, and after he disappeared. So we sat down and analyzed that each of these towers was either the location was either described with a, with an actual address that one could could map out, or kind of a, a general uh, a location that that we could kind of deduce where these towers are located using various. Uh, various open source tools. So it was interesting. We could kind of track where he was connecting. You know, Grozny is a fairly has fairly good cell coverage, and so you see in the days before he disappeared, he was in general, uh, you know, in general connecting with towers that were not far from where he worked and where he actually lived. He was basically sleeping in the in the in the massage room where he was working, and you know, you could see a pattern. He was connecting to those towers in the morning and night. And then all of a sudden, the day he doesn't show up for the for the cleanup session, the Subotnik, it in the evening it starts connecting over the next forty eight hours. Starts connecting almost exclusively with a cell tower that is two hundred and fifty meters just around the block from the Cheshire Interior Ministry. And right across the street from that is a police facility where Maxim Lapanov and his lawyers have deduced that he was likely detained. And Maxim Lapanov himself says he's recovered location data from his own mobile phone showing that he was precisely at that address at the time that that uh, Kobyshev's uh, phone was pinging that specific cell tower. So uh, cell tower data is, is less precise than, than GPS, but in a, you know, the experts I talked to say that in a, in a city with good cell coverage, you know, can you, you can pretty much uh, say the, the, the phone at the very least was within a kilometer of, of the tower that it was pinging the entire time. My first question when reading this, although you answer it later in the story, the first thought I had was, why the hell did they leave his phone on? Rather, let me let me phrase it this way. Why the hell did they leave his phone on if they're clearly aware that the tracking data is useful? Because they then end up, or it appears, that somebody throws his phone on a train to Varenyez, presumably because that's supposed to help provide evidence that he left Chechnya. And so they're thinking about the cell phone and, and the data that it receives and sends, why are they leaving it on in a single location? I know that they're using it to potentially, they force these people to lure in, you know, other men that they can then also beat up or purge or, you know, whatever the word is there. But if they're thinking about the cell phone, why are they also leaving it in one space 
turned on like this. Right. So first of all, uh, you know, assuming let, let's just for this, uh, for our purposes, assume that Lapunov's uh, testimony is correct. I mean, he's been called a credible witness by an OSCE repertoire. First of all, you may be, it, it may not be the case that they actually realize that. I mean, yes, they, they there's a chance that uh, it seems that someone ditched the phone on a train to kind of uh, give the impression that uh, Kobyshev had uh, had left Chechnya. But yes, as I explained in the article, multiple Lapunov and, and multiple other uh, sources, multiple other alleged victims, speaking on condition of anonymity, have said that the Chechen police were using essentially their contacts lists as a database for uh, other gay men to track down and basically lure. So they would have allegedly have their, their, their detainees uh, contact other gay men in their contacts list, set up a date, and then when they come out of the door, they just snatch them and take them back. Lapunov himself says that he did, that uh, he was forced to do this on one occasion where they literally took him out. So they had him set up a date, took him out to uh, a meeting, a rendezvous in uh, in Grozny, took him out of the out of the police facility, uh, had him go out and meet the person and then snatch the individual they were setting up. So after Kobyshev's phone starts connecting almost exclusively with that cell tower close to the, the Chechen Interior Ministry, there's only one call, outgoing call that's made from his phone and uh, the same number that he called calls back uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, we have no idea what uh, what was discussed in that. We called the number that was listed there, and nobody answered. But you know, this is that uh, at least according to to witness testimony, that is a, a tactic that was used by their alleged police captors. When you say that the the OSCE interviewed Lepinov and, and decided that he was credible. Do you have any idea, like, on what grounds they made that decision, or they they they, they decided that he was credible? Is it that he like provided maps that checked out, or I mean, because I know you have a map that he drew in your article. There's a map he drew of you know the the blueprint, I guess, of the sort of basement that he was kept in. Do you have any idea why he's regarded as credible? I can guess. I don't have any um, insider knowledge about specifically, you know, about their, his interactions with the OC um, uh, repertoire. But what I can say about Maxim Lapunov's testimony and what's very striking about it is the very, very thorough detail in which he describes everything. And we're talking about, he describes, you know, specific names of people that were allegedly there with him, names that it would seem almost impossible for him to know. For example, two names that he he gave in testimony just three months after he says he, he was released. Novak Gazeta reported in December that those two individuals of with those two exact names, uh, were killed, according to according to the to the Nova Gazeta report. The police said they were killed. Uh, authorities said they were killed uh, in a, as they were uh, carried out an attack on police. We don't know the details of that, but the fact that he gave specific names of individuals that it would seem highly unlikely that he would know. There was another name that he gave again, less than three, just just under three months after he he says he was released of an individual, a specific name of an individual that he says was in there uh, with him. And investigators contacted this individual. He said, well, you know, this is this is not true. Nothing is true. But the uh, the university where this 
specific individual was you know, was studying confirmed to investigators, and this is in court rulings, that he was uh, on some sort of leave on those precise dates that Maxim Lepunov uh, uh, gave. Even if he himself says that this is this is uh, you know this is not true what Lepunov is saying, and of course Lepunov's lawyers suggest that there was there could have been considerable pressure put on him. And this brings me back to Andrei Kobyshev, and which was which is interesting. This in which I think. You know, from just just going through the materials really adds credence to to Lepinov's allegations because, again, less than three months he gave testimony to his lawyer. Less than three months after he was he says he was released, and in that testimony he describes a masseur from the Volgograd Oblast in his forties. I think he says around forty, named Andre. He says that you know he was he clearly had bruises from being beaten that the Andre had described him being beaten but he gave he gave Lapinov gives the last name uh, Kopanen and he, he he says but I can't quite remember uh, can't it, it, he says something to the effect of it it's I can't remember exactly but it was something like Kopanen I mean the fact that uh, Kobish's disappearance was in no way made public by authorities. It was only made public by his own relatives who were posting things on social media, um, mm-hmm. you know, saying we, this, this guy's gone missing. So if we're, if we're looking as Chechen authorities have painted this as, as some conspiracy by human rights activists to, to smear Chechen's government, I mean, let's, let's play devil's advocate and say there was such a conspiracy. The only way they would have known someone with, uh, about someone with those general uh, biographical contours uh, would be by looking at, at missing persons reports. And in that just, case... Just and, randomly assigning them. R- randomly. <laughs> right. And in that case, if they had come across Kobyshev's announcement, why would he give, some, you know, give the impression that uh, he couldn't remember his last name? Why not just give the last name? And then why only dig it out? Out, you know, um, nearly two years later. It's because human rights a- activists are devious people, obviously. <laughs> well, right. So, I mean, the, 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 the depth of the conspiracy would have just, you know. Do you think that Lapunov's, is it fair to call it testimony about Kubyshev or is it, um, did he? Testimony in that it was given to his lawyer and, and also given to investigators and submitted as such. Yeah. And was, was the case was the missing person's case closed after that was submitted, or is it possible that this could reopen the case? Right. So the missing person's case, the murder case, was uh, suspended by investigators in July of last year. Investigators cited the lack of, uh, of any suspects. But this testimony then that he that was submitted via his lawyer to uh, the human rights ombudswoman, Tatiana Moskalkova, that was submitted in March. And about five days after that, uh, all of a sudden, there were a few announcements on some regional investigative committee websites saying the investigative committee in Chechnya is asking their colleagues for help in locating Andrei Kobyshev. They posted, they published a picture of him and they said in connection with an ongoing investigation. Now, we've asked both the investigative committee in Chechnya 
They said uh, any inquiries have to go through the investigative committee in Moscow about the status of the case. We contacted the uh, Central Investigative Committee in Moscow and we haven't heard anything back. But uh, Moskalkova's office said in the letter to Lapanov's lawyer on March 18th that it had been passed on to the deputy head of the uh, Federal Investigative Committee in Moscow. What, if any, steps have been taken after that is completely unclear. So there is some case involving Kobyshev that is open still? Well, it appears, at least according to the announcement that was released in early March of this year, it, that said ongoing investigation. So that would sure. indicate the documents we saw we saw showed that it was closed in July of last year. That would indicate it had been reopened, yes. So either that case, either the missing person murder case has been reopened or he's a witness or something in some other case. Those are the possibilities, I guess. My assumption would be that they reopened. I don't know if they would. They reopened it formally as a murder case or as reopened it anew as a as a missing persons case. I'm I'm not sure. But it it appears that after Lepinov's lawyer met with Moskalkova personally and passed this this testimony on, there was some renewal of an effort to, you know, at least formally an effort to find Kobashev. This is the latest development in in this story of the gay purges in Chechnya that's been going on now for a couple of years. And where do you think this puts the whole story? I mean, the, in terms of, I don't know, death toll or people affected or the direction of things, where, where do you think things stand now? I don't expect this to mark the beginning of some, you know, big... Change in traje- trajectory. I mean, the uh, at least as far for, as far as the Russian authorities are concerned, because the and why Maxim Lapinov is in, uh, is in, is important is he's an actual name and an actual person uh, publicly uh, making an accusation. The vast majority of these allegations are coming from anonymous uh, alleged victims who are scared to speak out, uh, at least according to rights activists, largely because of the, the, the shroud of silence over homosexuality and the great shame that it carries for, for a family in Chechnya. And these people, most of them ethnic Chechens, that is just not uh, an acceptable, acceptable risk for them. And this shroud of silence has very much allowed the Russian government to largely turn a blind eye to these allegations. You know, top Russian Justice Ministry officials last year told the Human Rights Commission that they looked into Lapinov's claims and they couldn't find any, they couldn't find a single gay person in Chechnya. They couldn't find anyone to substantiate any of these allegations. So this lack of actual names of victims very much allows federal authorities to kind of just say, well, well you know, what, what can we do if there are no victims coming forward? So why I think the Kobyshev case is important is that we have a, a what appears to be, at least in our assessment, a very credible allegation uh, that features an actual person who was the subject of a, uh, you know, who was formerly a, a, a classified a victim in a, in a, in a murder case. And what steps, I mean, the fact that he has not been seen for more than two years now, uh, just as in the case with, you know, another uh, another alleged victim, a Chechen singer named uh, Zelim Bakayev, who has also been missing since August 2017, is believed to have been swept up in, the, in, a, in a gay purge. You know, the, the fact that these are just open missing persons cases, I think that that, that will just kind of, they'll just be left out there, left open. 
uh, just as mysterious and won't necessarily trigger any any real serious action on uh, um, by authorities. That's my interview with Carl Schreck, a journalist at RFRL and the co-author of His Name Was Andre, a new investigative report about the disappearance and likely murder of Andre Kobyshev in Chechnya. In the description of this podcast episode, you'll find a hyperlink to the story at RFRL. If you enjoyed this interview and like listening to this podcast, please consider skipping over to patreon.com backslash Kevin Rothrock, where you can make a contribution. Thanks to everybody already pitching in, and I'm happy to get feedback, by the way. If ever you've a comment or a question about the show, you can catch me on Twitter. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time. Дайте, что ли, карты в руки Погадать на короля Ой-ля-ля, ой-ля-ля Погадать на короля Ой-ля-ля, ой-ля-ля Эх-па! Завтра дальняя дорога Выпадает королю У него деньжонок много А я денежки люблю Ой-ля-ля, ой-ля-ля